Welcome to Crush Disappointments. In this episode, I'm chatting to Shandana about her crush on Shah Rukh Khan. He's probably the biggest movie star in the world, but we're just talking about two films predominantly. So that's uh, Dilvalda Helena Lejange from 1995 and Kabikushi Kabigam from 2001. In both of those, he's the romantic lead opposite Kajal, and I mean, they're great together. In terms of this episode, there's an issue with the sound, there's a clicking that gets. Uh, I guess in the first 10 minutes, it's bearable, and then it gets a lot worse. Um, I've spent lots and lots of time trying to fix it. If you can't deal with it, I just skip forward to 20 minutes or so. I think it's, I think, it, well, it's definitely better. Um, if you can't hack it, just um, lie to me and tell me that it sounded great, because I spent what feels like, well, it would have been hours trying to fix it. So um, that's that. Um, and then also there's a, it ends, there's a bit of a, it ends on a bit of a bum note in that, I sort of set up a question about this article, and then I don't read anything from the article, and then I just ask a question that Shandara's already answered, so um, that's pretty bad. But anyway, um, here's the crush. Do you remember the first time that you saw Shahrukh Khan? I don't know if I do remember the very first time. I think I've always known him. He's just always been there, you know? Just, just a light in my life. And was there... I don't know, was there a film originally or? So the first, the first Bollywood movie that I remember being obsessed with is a movie called Kuch Kuch Hota Hai, which is him and the same actress who he um, plays against in Dilwale Dulhani Le Jangi, which you have, you've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a movie that spans time. And the first half of the movie is about them in college and then something happens and they don't, you know, end up together. And then the second half of the movie is eight years later. And actually it's Shah Khan's daughter um, trying to get them back together again. And I remember I saw it the first time when we were visiting family in America and there was a thing on the DVD. So we would watch it. And then there was a thing on the DVD, which which said like, Kuch Kuch Hota Hai too, like that came up when you finished watching it. And so we were like convinced it was like the second movie. So we would click on it and it would just play the movie again from the beginning. And I can remember days and days of just pressing the button again, hoping that it would somehow give us a different thing and it would give us more of the movie. And it would just play the movie from the beginning. And we watched the movie. It's a three hour movie two, three, sometimes four times in a day, and then the next day would be the same thing. Wow. Uh, So what was so good about that film that made you keep coming back to it? I mean, aside from the fact that I'm pretty sure that, I mean, I was very young, I don't remember how old I was, but I was pretty sure I was in love with Shah Khan and I wanted to look at him. Um, There's just something, it was just like, there was fun songs and everyone looked great and like, it was really quotable. Like we knew all the words Um, and I love a quotable movie. Um, and and it just was like, it was familiar, even though I'd never seen it before, but then obviously I'd seen it a hundred times. And so then it was familiar. And was it always the case that you would watch like the, the whole film or was it a case that you had like particular bits that you would skip to or songs that you would go back to? I think at that point we would just watch the whole movie over and over. Since then it's become a movie that like, if like I'm with my sister or my cousin, or other like family friends who also grew up watching those movies. If we don't know what to watch, it's a very easy thing to put on and kind of have on in the background and not necessarily have to be paying attention and still like enjoy watching it, but also enjoy spending time with each other. So it, it's one one of many movies in which we we do that with. And then you kind of forward it and just listen to the songs or you just kind of are not really paying attention until it gets to like a good part. And I couldn't tell you what a good part is exactly. 
just I guess the more quotable parts and then you kind of pay attention for five ten minutes and then you kind of go back to your conversations mm-hmm. so who who was Shah Rukh Khan in that film like what was his character like well, he's the, you know, he's the main guy. He's the heartthrob. He's the, the, the man that you, you're in love with and who all the girls love. Mm-hmm. But why do they love him? Well, he's just, he's kind of a bit of a, a ladies man in this movie and he's kind of sexy and he's very cool and he wears a necklace that says cool on it just so you really know <laughs> that he's cool. But then also he's like in touch with his emotions and he's a good father and he can cry and God, the man cries so well. He mm-hmm. just has such a good cry. And also, I just, there was just something about him. And I don't, it's interesting because he started his career playing the baddie. So he got his sort of foot in in Bollywood playing like the crazy person who kills people. And like, you kind of, in the beginning of the movie, you like him and then you realize actually he's like a psycho. And then Dilwale Dulhanya Lajangi was his first like heartthrob role. And then the world fell in love with him. And I mean the world because Bollywood is so not just India. And then, and then he just kind of went, every movie and like even now he's got to be in his 50s and he's still playing against like 30 year olds or sometimes 20 year olds and he's the big heartthrob and nobody seems to mind i mind a little bit now i don't think i like him quite as much as i did back then but when i think of shara khan i think of like 90s shara khan and he's still like the perfect man somehow so in that period after he'd done um the villain films did he have like a consistent type that he would always play in terms of the characters as in when he became the heartthrob yeah, like, were, did they did all his characters from then on all have similar characteristics, or was it very really varied? It was pretty much the same guy, and his name was always Rahul or Raj. <laughs> okay, which was good because you kind of felt like you knew him already, and so that was nice. It's the same guy that you already love, and so you go to see it because you know you're going to have this familiar guy that you're already kind of in love with. And I think what's interesting about him is that he kind of spanned ages as well, because I remember so my aunt is I think 11 years older than me and like when I would go to Pakistan she had like posters of him all over his room her room and she was like obsessed with him and then we had a, a an au pair who used to look after us and she was from the Czech Republic and she used to watch Bollywood movies with us and watch them with subtitles and didn't understand them but also was in love with him and actually ended up marrying an Indian man I don't know if it has anything to do with that maybe it does maybe it doesn't <laughs> um and and she was also like I don't know seven eight years older or more than that, 10 years older than me. And then there I was, probably six years old, thinking that he was the perfect man. So I think everyone just kind of loved him. So when, I guess I was a little bit older than six, maybe when I was, I don't know, teenagers or stuff, the the things I liked, I would sort of, in, in probably quite an unhealthy way, sort of define myself by them. If you're, if everyone is in love with him, do you, how do you, do you, or did you need to get that? Did you feel like, I don't, I'm basically saying, is it a basic choice to be into Shah Khan? Oh yes, it's definitely a basic choice to be into Shah Khan. I wasn't trying to be special. I didn't think I was, I was interesting or like better than anyone else for being into Shah Khan because I wasn't special. It wasn't new. It wasn't different. It just was the thing that mm-hmm. you couldn't help. I didn't do it because everyone else was doing it. I don't think that my aunt was into him. So I was like, if I'm into him, then I'm also cool. You just couldn't help be into him. There was just, he's got this like charisma and because like, he's not like the most good looking man. He's not particularly a sexy man either. There's just something about him that's just so appealing. He just seems like a nice guy. He's just like a nice, he's just like a nice dude. Um, and so then would it be you and the other people you know who are into him? Did you have like different favorite films or is it, does it tend to be that people had the same things that people found him attractive 
Um, there tends to be like the same kind. Of, I think everyone does have their like favorite Shah Rukh Khan movie. I think DDLJ probably is the sort of the the broadest made everybody happy. Everyone everyone was into that kind of movie. Um, but there are like a few set like the, like DDLJ Kuch Kuch Hair, which was the first one I watched. Um, Kabi Kushi Kabikam, which I think you also saw. Yeah was also another one of those. I mean, when any he did any a movie with Kajal, you just, they just, I was convinced that they were like going to leave their partners and like get married and be together because it just made perfect sense because they have like, I don't know, the most on-screen chemistry of any couple that I've ever watched. Even now, I think when I see a movie with them two together, I'm just like, this makes sense. Why are they not married? Even though I know that it I like is acting and that you know, I, I know that people, like when you're a child, you're convinced that they're in love. You're like so sure that this is real life. And even now they're probably the only couple that I, at the back of my mind, would really love them to be married. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then in, in watching the films, were you, I don't know, were you invested in uh, Kajal or did you cast yourself in her roles or like, what did you think of her? I mean, I always really liked her. I don't know if I ever cast myself as any of the, the female leads against him. I guess because I never looked like them. I'm like, they're all these like very like sexy Indian women and I'm like a Pakistani woman, but I, I'm also like, I look white and I know that I look white. So I've never sort of seen myself as as the women in any of these movies. Um, I just kind of was like, one day he'll come to London and we'll meet and we'll fall in love <laughs> and that's just what's going to happen. But um, in only in a very real sense, not in a movie sense. But then I was quite young when I when I I stopped thinking of him like the love of my life, and then I very quickly moved on to like what when you're like a 15 year old girl and you like fancy Zac Efron, and then like that is what's more attractive. Mm -hmm. So he didn't stay being my love for like two. He was the first, but he it didn't. It wasn't like a lifelong thing. Yeah. Although I say that I still like if I watch those movies that I watched of him when I was that age and when he was making it at that those early times i could very quickly go back into that space of being a little bit in love with him <laughs> yeah um so then if you're saying about him coming to london was that so in ddlj there's quite a significant amount of that is in london did that add to the idea that you might bump into him oh of of course of course and then every time there's a scene where he's like there's a scene where he's not even in it but they're they're the the father of the, the daughter is like walking to work through Trafalgar Square and you're like, no, it's Trafalgar Square. So you're like, he films in London. It could happen. <laughs> um, do you remember when the pigeons all got killed in Trafalgar Square? No. Well, Did that happen? They're all gone now. No. <laughs> there's still pigeons in Trafalgar Square. Not like there used to be. Not like there is in the film. What do you mean they all got killed? Did they kill them? Well, they, they brought in the Hawk Force. What? <laughs> so uh, I originally thought they brought in a load of hawks and the hawks tore the pigeons to shreds, but it's not that. Apparently it's... Okay. They, what? they basically told people to stop feeding the pigeons and now they've got like a hawk that every, I think every day or every few days circles Trafalgar Square so the pigeons don't go near it. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, think, I think that's right. Wow. I mean, I believe you. <laughs> I'm not going to go, go and like double check your facts. But yeah. <laughs> and then I think I... I think I was listening to the um, Condon podcast and they were talking about this film and they were saying that there's still signs in Trafalgar Square in Hindi telling people not to feed the pigeons as a result of DDLJ. Oh, I can believe that. Yeah, because people flocked there. I definitely like wanted to go to Trafalgar Square after watching that movie. <laughs> um, so do you have 
favorite bits in that film favorite songs um i really like the um song when she gets drunk Mm -hmm. there's a there's a great song when he's kind of being a bit rowdy and drunk um and having a good time and then she was like well i guess i'll get rowdy and drunk and he'll have to um you know be a bit more responsible if i'm the one who's being drunk which i think is like doesn't really make sense it's not really what people do but it works and so then she gets drunk and she steals a dress and she rolls down some hills and he's already (laughs) worried about her and they have a nice time i like that song Mm -hmm. i like um there's a song at her wedding um where she's wearing these green clothes and i for a long time thought that those would be the clothes i wore on that particular day of my wedding Mm -hmm. And that I would have all my friends dance to the same song. And actually, that probably still will happen <laughs> where I'll have my friends dance to that song at my wedding. And then I also really like the end bit where suddenly there's this big fight scene, which actually I think is one of my favorite fight scenes in all of cinema because it's the most unrealistic fight scene you've ever seen in your life. There's suddenly blood when there wasn't blood. When he gets hit with a bat, his body moves towards the bat in the most <laughs> unrealistic way you've ever seen. And it's just perfect. Um, and then also like he's getting really beaten and like he's really like nothing. And then all of a sudden he has this bout of superhuman strength and he's really angry in his face. And I mean, it's just honestly, it's perfect. And then he's given up and he's on the train and then her father is just like jow simran and then you're just like he's had a change of heart it's really like you know in her her father as well he's this actor that has this great presence and it's just like he has these crazy intense eyes um and then also any scene where he's crying because he does this amazing sharkhan i mean he does this amazing thing with his eyebrows um and then his eyes water in just this perfect not quite crying way um that you just really feel it what does he do with his eyebrows I don't really know how to explain it. They kind of quiver. <laughs> okay. There's like a quiver. Yeah. Um, and and you just you just feel all of the emotion. Mm-hmm. I think if I was going to pick anything about him as to why I fell in love with him, it was his eyebrows. Fair. So it's it was not those that, um, emotive eyebrows. Not the opening montage where you have him doing amazing sporting achievements. Oh, where he's like running against a, uh, a plane and almost beating the plane and like playing yeah. rugby and stuff. Yeah, no, yeah. I was never that interested in his um, physical abilities. It was more his ability to tap into his emotions that really got me. And then, am I right to say that it's not him singing? Oh, no, 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 no. In no Bollywood movie. I mean, maybe nowadays there's one or two actors or actresses who do sing. And so sometimes they do the playback singing of their own songs. But it's at that point, definitely not. And now even it's very rare. But no, they have um, like pre-recorded songs with with singers who become very famous in their own right. And then they just, you know, lip sync along to the songs. So definitely not him singing. So were you interested in the in the voice and the singer in the same way or in any sort of way? Not at all in the same way. I do very much enjoy listening to the songs of those singers. And actually, a couple of years ago, the guy who was pretty much the singing voice for all Shah Khan's movies came and did a show in London. And I went with my friends and it was actually one of the best shows I've ever been to. Because um, And it's weird because you, you know that voice so well, but actually I wasn't particularly... Um, aware of like what he looked like. I knew he was this like old Indian man with a moustache, but it was kind of like being transported back in time and listening to Shah Khan, even though I knew it was never Shah Khan. Um, so very much like the songs and listening to those voices, but it, it was never something, especially when I was younger, that was on the forefront of my mind of, of there being actually another person behind that voice. And is, I don't know, I guess the whenever someone breaks out to a song it's like the emotions are so vast that they sort of can't be contained within normal language is exactly. it those moments that you feel like Shah Rukh Khan is 
at his most attractive or is it the more uh just the standard acting stuff uh, for me it was the more standard acting stuff the songs are great i love a song it's it's a little bonus extra i like to listen to the music and uh i'll admit even now sometimes i'll want to learn the dances with my friends um and i do but no that's that's not the for me it wasn't the appeal and like his some of the actors at that time are like were known to be very good dancers and so like you were kind of into them because they did certain dancing that other actors didn't do but Shah Khan's appeal wasn't his dancing ability or or you know how good he looked in a sheer shirt although they really did like to put him in a sheer shirt in a lot of those songs um no it was more the the highly intense emotional scenes that that really mm-hmm. got me for him maybe a controversial question but is raj a bit of a dick in ddlj Oh, oh, 100%. And when I look back at, when I look, not, I don't think it's a controversial question. I mean, I, I guess maybe for some it would because they're in love with him and, and it's difficult to um, criticize those that you love, but without a doubt, 100%, he's a big asshole. And I think actually a lot of those movies, when you look back at them, they're massively problematic. And the stuff that the hero does, which you think is fine, is actually really not fine. Like he, in quite a lot of his roles, has this habit of everything's a joke and everything's fun and you're laughing and everything's fine. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he gets really serious and he holds the girl by the wrists and he looks really deep into their face and he's really like kind of aggressive almost. And it's meant to be like really sexy and it's just not. It's just like, what are you doing? Let go of her. Um but yeah i mean i'm interested to hear what you think in terms of because you saw it fresh as an adult who didn't grow up with those characters who didn't kind of see it with the the the, those sort of youthy eyes who was able to sort of not recognize the problematic stuff so like what was your interpretation of raj as a character when you watched that movie um i guess i thought that he ticks a lot of the boxes of kind of like rom-com tropes that i don't like in terms of him being a bit stalkery yeah um sort of very uh, stalkery yeah. well i mean there's that that joke that he pulls where he's is it is the joke that he's sexually assaulted her oh with is the that, kisses is the joke that he's trying to play uh, yeah it's that's exactly the joke but because somehow it, it they were trying to play like it was consensual but if she was too drunk to remember it then of course <laughs> that's what it was so there's bits like that which aren't good but then actually I, i've no, no, not good. Um, in contrast, that, I think sh- I'd forgotten about that bit. Shah Khan is—he's is, so likable in it that actually I kind of um, was able to bypass some of the dodgy elements that I perhaps wouldn't have been another lead actor. Like it, it was almost like he was almost able to hide it. Yeah, it's almost like you had to think about it again after having watched it. Like, oh no, that was creepy because he'd kind of convinced you it wasn't. and I think that was the appeal of Shah Khan is that you just liked him almost no matter what he did which I think is also why he managed to do like because he was doing he was fairly successful playing the bad guy before he broke out as as a big sort of heartthrob hero because he was so likable so I mean I think that's exactly right he plays these problematic characters who do extremely unacceptable things but you manage to, and I mean, that happens even now in Indian movies where there are pretty terrible tropes of how men treat women and it's meant to be okay. Um, even more so back in the 90s and especially with Shah Khan, he was an actor who you just liked him anyway, that it was almost, almost okay. Or at least you could forget about it while you were watching the movie and it was only when you were thinking back that you were like, mm, that wasn't good. Yeah. And yeah. I, this might be a strange comparison, but I, I watched The Mask again recently, which I loved as a little kid. Yeah. And it was weird watching it again in, in that same thing where you have that realisation where Jim Carrey's character 
it's kind of um i know he's a bit gross like he keeps talking about himself as being a nice guy and everyone calls him a nice guy but he's not he's just like he there's this whole thing where cameron diaz's character is saying how he's better than all the other guys but he's objectifying her in exactly the same way but you just you're told that jim carrey is a nice guy and it was weird watching it back um so did you have an experience i guess when when you're like when i watched the mask as a kid i didn't pick up on that was it a case of 100% 100% it was definitely not something that as I when I watched as a child and even as a sort of like preteen it wasn't something that I noticed or recognized or um, even thought about at all and it was only sort of on later rewatches with um, my friends that I realized that like a lot of this stuff is mad problematic and and, and part of that is probably what put me off Shara Khan as I got older but is this I mean I did there's just something about the man it doesn't you kind of look back at those movies and remember that time that you watched them as a child and you kind of forget that all of that's not okay. And even now, like he'll play against someone who's 30 years younger than him. And like, it's gross. Um, and I don't, I don't enjoy watching those movies, but it doesn't taint Shara Khan of the past somehow. Mm-hmm. So I guess, is this a film that you go back to now? Or do you still watch it a lot? Oh yeah. Um, I probably watch it at least once a year, sometimes more. I think I'm pretty much always in the mood for this movie. And because I don't have to pay attention when I watched anymore because I know exactly what happens and I don't speak Hindi or Urdu I don't understand it without subtitles so I I need the subtitles when I watch a new Hindi movie but I don't when I watch this movie anymore because I know it so well that I can quote it um and I know what's happening and I I know I mean I know enough of the the words that I can piece it together and because I know this movie so well I don't need the subtitles to enjoy this movie anymore Mm -hmm. so yeah, because it's so familiar, it's kind of like, you know, visiting an old friend. It's very comforting. I can, yeah, I, I still would, if I'm like with some friends who are, you know, are from the same background and who have seen these movies growing up, it's a very easy go-to. Let's not spend an hour deciding what to watch. Let's just put on DDLJ or K3G and, you know, I, I mean, any number, there's like a handful of like 90s and early 2000s Shah Khan movies, which I could just, at any, literally any day, any time, I'd be in the mood to watch. I did feel like after watching this, it's got like um, a lightness to it. Like it doesn't feel like three and a half hours long or however long it is. It kind of whizzes by. For me, it does. And I know there's a lot of people who find it really difficult to sit through a, a full long, you know, Bollywood movie at its prime and they're not making them quite as long as they used to. Um, but for me, this movie, yeah, it doesn't feel like a, a three hour long movie at all. I could definitely just put it on and watch it and the time will just fly by. I mean, did it feel like that for you? Did it feel like you were watching a three and a half hour movie when you watched it? No, like it, it was definitely the case where I feel like if someone that was saying they were going to watch it again this week, I'd be happy to watch it again. Oh, really? Yeah, like it really did feel like, I, I don't know, light and breezy don't sound like complimentary words, but it felt like it had that kind of, I don't know what I want to say, but it was, it was just, well, while after I watched K3G, which I also really enjoyed. I f- it, that one's heavy though. Yeah, it felt to me like I'd been there, I'd been sitting there a long time. Yeah, yeah. I felt like I'd been through the rigor. I love that you're using the the nicknames for the movies. You know, you you know the lingo. Well, also, it, it saves me because my pronunciation would be so bad that I feel like it's also a handy way out of me to just look, also look really Fair knowledgeable, enough. but also not fuck up. <laughs> yeah, no, I can respect that. <laughs> um, so then if we go on to KVG just for a second, there's a guy who's his brother... So it's yes. Shah Khan's brother. And yeah. he ticks some of the same boxes that Raj does in DDLJ in the sense that you get the sort of same montages of him doing the sports stuff. 
But yeah, for yeah. me, he's not as good. Like he, I didn't enjoy him. Is that, how do you feel about him? He just doesn't have it. He just doesn't have it. I don't, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he's like from the next generation where, because at the time that Shah Khan became famous, there wasn't such an emphasis on like the body. And so the actors who were coming out and becoming very famous, they weren't big and buff and they weren't like with chiseled jawlines. They were just like, pretty decent actors who were very likable. And that was, or, I mean, if you look at all of the the big actors who came out at that time was um, Amir Khan, who I still think makes great movies, Salman Khan, who's mad problematic. Um, but again, although he he was kind of the initial big strong man, um, so he's probably a bad example. But it, it was it was not, it was not like a sort of chiseled face, sculpted body at that time. And then when Rithik Roshan, who's the brother in K3G, started to become sort of famous that started to be the push towards and actually now all of the actors have sort of big bodybuilder type bodies but so then and for me I, that, like it never did it for me and I think when you are kind of beautiful and you spend so much time on your body I mean I'm sure I mean I don't want to like paint everybody who like works really hard in their body to not have a personality but I think it's <laughs> probably hard it's probably harder to have that sort of likable um charismatic persona when you're also doing all of this other work on yourself um, and and f- for me, that kind of charismatic, likable, kind of can kind of get away because you're just so sweet um, era of Bollywood that was the uh, early 90s, kind of the, towards the early 2000s. But that kind of went away with this kind of new brand of Bollywood actor that started around the time Rithik Roshan started making movies. And yeah, you're right. He has all of those. He's kind of, he's, he's obviously meant to be attractive and he's, you know, funny and he's smart, but it just doesn't do the same thing. It just doesn't work for some reason. Yeah, it's really interesting. I couldn't isolate what it is, but I, I couldn't give him notes and say, you need to do this to be better. He just... I think it's one of those intangible things which he just doesn't have. Yeah. You either have it or you don't. So how did um, Charlotte Khan respond to the sort of the change in like body types? Did he bulk up? Oh, yes. Yes, he did. How did that go? I mean, he he looked. I guess he achieved his goal. I'm. I don't know if I. There's also, I think, some level of CGI and a lot of body makeup involved in in making him kind of look as buff as some of the others. But I mean, he did. He he achieved the goal of looking pretty ripped. Which, to be fair, he did in his forties, like like late forties and fifties, which is pretty impressive. Um, but again, like when I see him like that, I'm just like, well, that's not Shah Khan, and it does nothing for me. And did his um, characters change as a result or were they the same characters, just buff now? I think a little bit of, of um, adaption. I, I think he, he kind of maintained playing this sort of cheeky, charismatic, cool guy for quite a while. But then he also kind of got into playing. And I think his age has something to do with that as well. He started doing more sort of actiony type movies um, where he was this like cool older guy who wore sunglasses all the time. Um but also, I I don't watch so many of the new Bollywood movies, so I'm I'm a I'm not the best person to kind of discuss the new Bollywood era and and where that took Shah Khan because I kind of I, I had my moment and I I watch them every so often, but I, I I still go back to the old ones if I want to watch a good Bollywood movie. But I mean, you could you could Google a picture of Shah Khan topless circa 2015, and he would look like any other sort of chiselled body like you know movie star yeah i think i saw an, uh, an article where they said that it was for 
Om Shanti Om that he got the big body. Yeah, I can see that. And they refer to him as an item boy image. What was this? Oh, so an item man or an item girl or item boy and item girl is this thing that happens in Bollywood movies where they have... They have, I mean, they, they have songs throughout. They're all musicals. Like, even an action movie is a musical. And sometimes they want to have someone who's not in the movie for any reason other than to look good in a song. And so they have, like, a sexy lady in not a lot of clothes, and she's the item girl for this item number. And so I guess that kind of description of him is that... Because he was not an item... He wasn't just... Oh, sorry. I can't turn it off either. <laughs> we'll just have to wait. Um, I mean, honestly, I'm looking at pictures of him online and like he got really fucking ripped. Oh, and there seemed to be like a bit of a change between the two films that I watched in that the KG3, like the, there's a much sexier dance number than in DDLJ. Oh yeah, there's the clothes are a little more scandalous and the 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 women in their short pink dresses the one where they're in egypt and it's they're sort of in the water and it's very sort of everyone on their hands and knees oh you mean you mean like kajal and <laughs> yeah um i mean i think that was part part of um a change with the time there was i remember for a long time he had a clause in his movies where he wouldn't kiss on the lips so it didn't used to be a thing at all like Bollywood movies, when I watched them growing up, the kind of most sensual thing that would happen would be like a lip brushing a neck or like kind of close to a neck or like intense hugging, like really intense hugging. And you you knew that that was them being like as affectionate as they were going to show you on film. And with time that kind of changed. And now there are sex scenes no different than they are in a in a Western movie. But when as that change was happening, I remember he it was like famously in his contracts that he wasn't going to kiss anyone on the lips, even in a movie. And... I think that's changed now. I think that there was like a famous movie. I don't remember which one it was where he kissed the actress on the lips and it was like a big deal at the time. So so I think, yeah, I think that was just part of the changing landscape of Indian cinema where when DDLJ came out, it just wasn't what they were doing. And as when by the time K3G came out, they were kind of more allowed to show a bit more skin and show a bit more sort of sexual intimacy, which I'm not going to lie. Who doesn't want to see Shah Khan and Kajal getting hot and heavy, heavy in a desert? I'm, I definitely do. So I wasn't sad about it. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I've spent a lot of time talking about like what Indian cinema is and isn't. And like, I am not someone who's like particularly educated in this area. Um, I'm by no means an expert. So I think everything I say should definitely be taken with a pinch of salt as like an audience from a long time ago and not someone who really knows what they're talking about. Well, I'm going to edit that until it changes to you saying I am an expert and I'm going to start the podcast with that. <laughs> Please do that. That will <laughs> do great things for your podcast, I'm sure. Um, I think I'm going to... But I'm going to, I'm going to attempt to do an um, a awkward segue question. Yeah, please do. So in DDLJ, the first half of it is them essentially Euro-railing. Yeah. Um. <laughs> do you like to travel pre-covid times do you enjoy what What makes a good holiday what, what makes a good holiday <laughs> yeah. um uh, food is probably the most important part of holidays for me if i anywhere i go i want to eat the food of the place that i'm in and and people honestly when my the best holidays i've ever been on have always been with my sister misha who and somehow we always 
end up talking to people from those places and finding out because you find out the best places to go from the people who are from those places um and yeah talking to to people and eating delicious food are my number one favorite parts of any holidays but also like you go on holiday to relax don't you so as long as i can have some chill time i'm, I'm happy I say that and then and then anyone listening to that is gonna be like, that's a lie. You've got five <laughs> things planned every day and you've got an itinerary that if we don't stick to, you get really stressed. So um, maybe I'm just lying to you now. I don't know. <laughs> but how do you meet people on holiday? Like, is it just like you're walking down the street and you say hello to someone? How does that happen? No, I guess um, you talk to the people who, um, when you go out to eat, who are working in the, in the restaurant or... Um, when you go to a food stall, you talk to the people who are working there. When you are on a bus and it's just you and the bus driver, you just have a chat to the bus driver about his life and what he likes to do. Um, yeah, I don't really know. I just You just talk talk to the people who are around and the people who are around are normally the people working in the places where you're at. So, I mean, obviously there's always this level of discrepancy because you're a customer and they're working in the place that you're supposed to be holidaying in. So you kind of don't want to like cross any boundaries or make people feel like they have to talk to you because otherwise they're going to get like a bad review or whatever. But I think you just be nice and friendly and people tend to, and I mean, I, I guess there's also an element of being like a young woman where people tend to be nicer to you. Um, so maybe that makes life easier. And if you were to do that as a, a, a tall English man with um, ferocious facial hair, it might not go down go down yeah. so well. I don't know. but um, yeah, it, it sounds incredibly threatening what you've just described. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. When you go to supermarket, do you go to the self-service? Sometimes, but sometimes I like to not do that because I can't be bothered to do it myself. <laughs> not because of the joy of meeting and uh, speaking to someone. I mean, we always do have a nice interaction with the checkout person. I don't think I've ever had a not nice interaction with a checkout person because I guess they're there all day and they're talking to people. And if they don't talk to people, I mean, sometimes they don't like to talk to people and then you, you don't talk to them. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's nice to, to say nice things to people. And I often have nice things to say about the people who I interact with. So you tend to have nice interactions, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm very free flowing with the compliments. So... And, and I mean all of them, but I just, I've always thought if you think a nice thing about someone, just tell them and it makes people so happy. Sure, there's no way to do that. Is there a way to compliment a stranger? There's not no way. I have had one instance where a man complimented me and I didn't feel, one, I don't think he was hitting on me and I don't think he was expecting anything from the interaction other than to tell me that he thought I was very beautiful. We were on a on a lift this is going to sound like i'm really bigging myself up but we were on a no not a lift on a on an escalator on the tube station and he was ab ab above me on the tube and he turned around and then he was like wow you're really beautiful and i was like oh thank you and then he just got off the escalator and walked on his way so there was no expectation or and it was just nice i was just like that's that's really nice that he thought a nice thing and said it to me but that's the only one and only time i've ever received a compliment for a man where i didn't think that they were hoping for something more so mm -hmm. it's it's not it's not an easy thing to do i think as a as a man and it is a much easier thing as a woman to do so i'm not saying i think you should go around complimenting every person you see because mm -hmm. there are <laughs> appropriate times and places to do that but i think it's possible so the trick is to Say it quickly, get out. And <laughs> walk away. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Just immediately, you make it a safe space. You just run. You just go as fast as you can <laughs> away from them. Exactly. That's, that's exactly what I'm telling you to do. 
I guess an off compliments. I quite liked in DDLJ how whenever Simran and Raj piss each other off, they, they're quite good at apologising to each other. Like there's a whole thing that they keep saying, I'm sorry, I said too much in anger. Yeah. Are you good at giving apologies? Are you good at receiving apologies? What do you think about apologies? I think apologies are an important thing only if, one, you don't overuse the word sorry, because if you just say sorry all the time, it doesn't mean anything. But also it doesn't mean anything if your actions don't show change. So mm. you can you can say sorry to someone if you mean it, as long as you then behave differently afterwards. Mm-hmm. But I... Um, I'm very happy to receive an apology if someone's done something that they think that they've upset me or wronged me. If they want me to know that they've recognised that, I'm more than willing to hear someone say sorry and more than willing to give someone an opportunity to to make amends. And I honestly think, like, I mean, I'm a big advocate for conversations. Like, I don't like to be upset with people and I like to talk to people when I don't feel good about something. So... Yeah, I think it's really healthy that they do that in that show. And I'm very pro people having conversations around when they've upset someone or they think they've done something wrong and then and, and then discussing that and, and working towards doing something better in the future. Mm-hmm. But also, if it's someone that I've decided that I no longer care about or I'm not interested in their opinions or life, or if it's someone who I'm not particularly close to, then I don't waste my time. Mm-hmm. Like if just because if it's going to make them feel better to say sorry, but they don't mean it and nothing's going to change and I don't care, then I don't, I don't bother to give them the opportunity for that. And I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I also, this is a, of, a, of a tangent, but um, I really liked in Into the Spider-Verse how all the characters say to each other that they love each other and it's like a platonic love. Yeah, I love that too. I thought that was excellent. Like I've, I've never, I can't recall any films or any life experience where that's been so common as it was in that film. It was absolutely lovely. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of another film, but actually I'm very fortunate that I kind of live in a circle of friends and family who were we're very free to tell each other that we love each other. Like I speak to my father who lives in Australia most days and we will always end the conversation with saying that we love each other so much so that actually once I was like on my way to work or I was at work and I was just saying goodbye to him and I was like okay cool I love you I'll talk to you soon and then the one of the nurses was like oh is that your boyfriend and I was like no that's that's my dad Um, um but yeah I mean same with my friends as well like we're very um sort of verbally affectionate with each other um and so so I'm quite used to living in that space. So when I see it in 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 movies and TV, I it, I kind of it feels like life reflecting a little bit more than it being like a very foreign, strange thing to see. But it's mm. nice because you don't see it very often. Yeah, I I probably do this more where I can't think of a way to, to say this doesn't sound awful. But instead of like <laughs> saying that I really care about someone, I would say. Yeah. Oh, it's good to see you, piece of shit. And that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that does the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the the intention is there for it to do the same thing. It's maybe not quite as clear. It's, it's, yeah, no, it's not quite as clear. But I think if, um, if you call someone a piece of shit enough in a way that sounds like you still like them, maybe they'll know what it means. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the intention. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know how to get this back to Shorat Khan. Um, 
there's okay one of the things i don't know i don't know where this is going to go in your podcast but i feel like i have to discuss it is that there's this classic Khan lean that he does where he holds his arms out and leans and it just is so inviting and iconic at the same time do you know what i'm talking about have you ever like seen it yeah i think david letterman interviewed him and got him to do it oh really i mean it's just it's so iconic i don't know I've Googled Shurakhan Lean and it's actually all just pictures of him topless. So that didn't really work. <laughs> actually, no, I think I'm talking about something else. He did the thing where he moved his arms to the side. I think that's what it is. He just holds his arms out and leans back a little bit. Yeah, maybe it was that. Yeah. The crowd loved it. I mean, the people love it. There's just, I don't know what it, I don't even know what you would call that move, but it <laughs> is just so like, that's just the like quintessential Shurakhan pose. You know, mm-hmm. like how Horatio Kane from CSI Miami has his whole sunglasses thing. Where, <laughs> no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Have you never seen CSI Miami? <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not a 40-year-old person saying I'm okay. I'm going to not take that as a burn. Um, I, I, don't, I can't think of another example, but there are certain actors who just like have a thing that they do and it's just like what they do and then they do it and you see it and you know that that's them or that's someone mm-hmm. imitating them. His is this sort of arm out, leaning back, looking at you with longing. Mm-hmm. Is that, what, that's not the same thing that he does in DDLJ in the mustard field when he puts his arms out. Is that different? That's exactly it. That's exactly okay. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it works. It's a It works, hit. right? There's just something yep. great about it. I can't, I don't know how to Google it though, so. Um, so were you ever at the time interested in him? I guess his star persona, his personal life, were those ever things that you cared about or it was all just him in the films? No, I think it was at a time before I cared about knowing about that stuff. And also he's always been married. Like he was married before he became famous. So it was never something that like there were tabloid articles about and people talking about and people caring about. So I don't think it was ever something that interested me or I bothered to like learn about or read about. It was It was very much like an infatuation of the idea of Shah Rukh Khan's characters and who I made him up to be as opposed to like, he's a real person who has a life, who that person could be. The, but it was more like this person I've made up who's this person is who I love and not like Shah Rukh Khan is like a real person. Because if I thought about him as a real person, he was like married and old and like, ew. So uh, this was a 2016 interview with The Guardian with Nasheen Iqbal where she says that playing Khan to the public is perhaps his most successful role. And then Shah Khan says, I get very disappointed if I see people who aren't enjoying what I'm doing, and it's not even value for money, it's value for liking me. I need people to be happy after they've met me, if nothing else. You're sitting with me now, you can see I'm a very boring person, but if you have an image of me being cool or funny or romantic from the films, I'll do my best to live up to that expectation. If you tell me I'm not smiling enough, I will smile more. Oh, that's depressing, isn't it? Yeah. That's sad. <laughs> Oh, I'm sad for him. I saw, um, he gave a really interesting quote in um, the David Letterman interview where he called himself um, an employee of the myth of Shah Khan. Oh, interesting. I can kind of see how that could have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I'm going to go back into my um, tangenty stuff. Yeah. So do you feel that you need people to be happy after they've met you? Have you ever felt that way? No, I don't care. <laughs> I I mean I don't want people to like hate me and I I would prefer if people like me um but yeah if you don't I'm okay with it I like me I have lots of people who like me I'm all right 
But I guess if I really like someone, I would probably be disappointed if they didn't like me. But if I didn't like them, I'd be like, well, I guess I don't really like you. So why would you like me? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I yeah. mean, I'm not like I'm not like immune to caring about people. Obviously, I want people <laughs> to like me. But um, but it doesn't like really, really bother me if I think someone doesn't. I don't feel like I need to make them change their mind about me. Mm-hmm. And have you always been like that? I think so. I think so. I guess I've, I've always, I've grown up quite confident in that. Um, I kind of had this, my, my mother was very sort of self-assured and independent and strong and raised me and my sisters. I've got two sisters to be the same way. Um, and because I was always close with my sisters and close with my mum, um, we always kind of made, made each other feel good I guess um especially my relationship with my younger sister we're like each other's biggest supporters um and so she's constantly telling me how great I am and I'm constantly telling her how great (laughs) she is so um I kind of get that affirmation and I've kind of always had that affirmation so if I don't get it from elsewhere I'm okay because I'm getting it from somewhere else Um, and I've had that from a very young age so yeah I don't think I don't think something happened or I needed to get to a certain place in my life where I felt good about myself to feel like I was okay without other people's validation. I think I've always been okay without it, but I guess because I was getting it anyway from somewhere else always, which I mean I'm very lucky i'm very I'm very blessed to have been in that position. What about you do you do you need people to like you? um I would say i Oh, okay, this sounds really self-loathing. I don't mean this in this way, but like I'd say I'm quite p- p- like a pathetic coward, and I feel like that comes out in me wanting people. <laughs> like, no, you're not. I would feel like I would bend my morals for like a a crumb of affection from someone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's true. So, um, so I guess if you're saying, um, I guess you're able to get feelings of like worth from your sister or family is that something that you feel like you're able to like generate on your own or is that you do you get it through the your family support network that's a very good question i don't know um I i don't know i think if i'm being really honest i think i do do get it from my support network more than i give it to myself um i'd like to think that i don't need it from anywhere and i can just like think about how great i am and feel fine but i don't think that's i don't think that's the truth but um, again, I hopefully will never be without that support network, so I'll probably be okay. Would you say you're um, more comfortable in a group setting or by yourself? Oh, for sure in a group. For sure in a group. I definitely am the kind of person who feeds off of the energy of the people around me, and I like being around people. Um, but I don't need to be around a lot of people. I like even just one other um good friend i'm i'm fine and i don't I'm not to say that i don't like being alone if i um if i know and i this probably sounds really bad but i kind of need to pre um preempt alone time like i don't like alone time to be pushed on me and then to suddenly be by myself in a house without having planned to be by myself but if i know that i'm going to be alone and i've decided like oh i'm going to watch this movie or i'm going to you know cook something or make a cake or read my book and that's what i know i'm going to do with my day then i enjoy it very very much but if i'm suddenly by myself and i hadn't planned to be by myself then i like i'm not good at it which again probably not the most not the most healthy way to be but so so no one you know is allowed to be spontaneous yeah <laughs> just not my sister who i live with <laughs> yeah she's just got she's got to give you your her schedule for the week so that you could plan your alone time exactly exactly i mean she i mean she can be i just like to know at least the day before 
<laughs> and then even even so, like if she does go out, like I'm I'm not like you're not allowed out, otherwise I'm gonna be stressed about being alone. Like I can handle it. It's just not my preference. <laughs> you have to put, the, put the radio on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um. So then, I guess with um, I don't know, the current moment, I guess you're living with your sister, so you're still getting that personal thing. But have you struggled not having sort of like tactile uh, communication with people? No. No, I, and I guess because I, I live with my sister and we enjoy spending our time with each other so much that it I it, it's weird. We've become like weirdly codependent on each other. And so we <laughs> like had got used to spending so much time with each other that when things started opening up and, and, and making plans and she'd like make a plan with a friend and should go out or and we'd make a plan together with a, fr- a mutual friend of ours and we would spend like two evenings a row with other people the third night would be like oh i like i miss spending time with you even though we'd still seen each other every day because it wasn't just the two of us so we kind of kind of reached this weird level of like codependence and like inability to spend time with other people um which is is probably not something i should be telling people but <laughs> it's what happened so so yeah it wasn't like a a difficult thing to 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 not be around lots of other people and not spend time with other people because i still like spoke to my friends on the phone and i got that sort of that like physical contact with with like other living people which i definitely need to feel like a normal person from my sister I, but I guess what has been hard is now that like things are opening up and I'm seeing my friends and like I'm a very like physically affectionate person so I like to hug my friends and hold their hands and when I see friends who are being more careful and I like can't go in for a hug when I see them or like when we're talking I don't get to like hold their hand it like I have to like actively stop myself from doing it because it's so innate in me and then that like makes me a bit sad and spending a lot of time alone has that been fine for you or have you kind of been missing that human connection I definitely think that I'm glad that I was by myself rather than with people. Yeah. I think it would have been really difficult. Even with one person, I think I would have en- we would have ended up falling out or it would just, just having my own space, my own schedule. So like lockdown and li- literally like when it was those months where we couldn't go anywhere except to like exercise for an hour a day. Like if you were living with someone else, you think that you would have killed them and then yourself. Yes. Is, that, is that what you were yeah. saying? Yeah. Murder, suicide. Yeah. You would have, in the news it would have been, and then he turned the gun on himself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think one other person is probably harder if you're not as close as me and my sister are. Um, probably harder than a couple of other people because there's no escape when it's just one person. This would have been a good quote to have incorporated earlier, but I'll do it now. So this is from the same interview. But um, yeah, Sharat Khan says, there's hardly anyone I share my feelings with. I believe your feelings are your own and no one understands them as well as you. Somebody can give it a good hearing, but nobody can solve the issues of your feelings. So I keep them to myself. That's very depressing. <laughs> he sounds like a very sad man, doesn't he? <laughs> Certainly from this interview. Yeah. I mean, do, do you agree with that? Do you think that's true? I mean, it, it doesn't sound like it should be. It doesn't, does it? But do you agree? <laughs> um, no, I, don't, I disagree. I, think, I don't know about for him, though. Like, surely it's difficult for him to know what people want out of him. Yeah, I mean, I guess like the stuff you and I go through is general like life people stuff where most people could have some sort of level of experiencing something kind of similar. So they might be able to empathize, whereas not many people are like famous to the same level as him and people wanting things from him in the way that that they do. So maybe no one understands him and will ever understand him. I don't know. I don't live his life. 
Maybe he's right. Oh, I've got one really big quote, but I'm not sure if it... The, it's another one where I've got a big quote, but then the question at the end is just not good. <laughs> no, please do it. I would love to hear the quote <laughs> and the question. Uh, okay, it's even longer. Right. So this is from Richard Dyer's Entertainment and Utopia. So entertainment offers the image of something better to escape into or something we want deeply that our day-to-day lives don't provide. Alternative hopes, wishes, these are the stuff of utopia, the sense that things could be better, that something other than what is can be imagined and maybe realised. Entertainment does not, however, present models of utopian worlds, as in the classic utopias of Thomas More, William Morris. Rather, the utopianism is contained in the feelings it embodies. It presents head-on, as it were, what a utopia would feel like rather than how it would be organised. All this we recognise through representational signs, but we also recognise these qualities in non-representational signs, colour, texture, movement, rhythm, melody, camera work, although we are much less used to talking about them. So then the question that I had to follow it was, what feelings did the musical numbers fill you with? Did they feel utopian? That's an excellent question. Uh, yes, yes, they did. I think actually there's something about those particularly because Bollywood movies do songs in like a number of different ways. One of those is there's a song, everyone's dancing, it's a wedding or they're at an event and everyone's singing and dancing and that's actually what's happening. And one of those is when two people are falling in love and they're on this like magical montage journey around the world. And I think both 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 versions of their songs kind of give you a little glimpse of this, like that feeling of everything is great and wonderful and everyone's really happy and having a nice time, which I guess is kind of what this is talking about. Is that this, I, it, cause it's, I mean, it's not, it's not giving us a, an idea of what utopia is, right. It's just giving us this feeling and yeah, they make me happy. They make me feel good. And they give you a little moment of escape, especially those ones where you've got Kajal in this like beautiful flowing sari and Shara Khan in his black sheer shirt that you can weirdly see his nipples through and they're <laughs> kind of sensually hugging each other but like nothing too explicit is happening and you just like know that they're like falling in love and having this amazing time with the desert in the backdrop or these rolling hills of the Alps in the backdrop or they're by a beach with black sand in Iceland and you know it's freezing but she's not wearing any clothes and everything just feels good. And and so, yes, uh, the songs do do that for me. Yeah, that's a great question. It paid off. It was worth the quote. Well, now I feel bad, bad that I said it in that stupid way now, because now I'm going to sound like a twat. But um, that's, <laughs> not, that's not stopped me before. Um, maybe. Oh, this, see, I got this to kind of wrap up. But this is a bit of a downer ending. Because I found... Um, okay, we can see if we can put a twist on it. Yeah, because I found a BuzzFeed article by Sonia Mariam Thomas that was called The Undeniable Misery of Being a Sharat Khan Fan Today. Oh, yeah, I'd love to hear that. I think that probably would encapsulate a lot of my feelings about the whole thing. So um, what is your relationship with Sharat Khan now? Do you see any of his new films? I know you said you sort of don't, but do you ever catch any? Do you just predominantly watch the same few films again and again? Um, I do predominantly just watch the same films again and again. He did a movie not that long ago where he played a therapist. I don't remember what it was called and it was actually a good movie. And that was surprising because he doesn't really make good movies anymore. But anyway, so he he does a lot of, I mean, just bad movies now and I don't really watch them. And so my relationship with Shara Khan now is very much the memories of who he was when I used to watch his movies as a child. And then when I watch those movies now. I'm not particularly interested in what he's up to now, what he's got to say now, as you can tell, because I've not read or seen any interviews with him where he says all of this depressing stuff. Um, So he's, I guess, I guess my relationship with him is like that moment in time 
in the sort of late 90s, early 2000s. And I'm very happy for it to stay there. Um, Even that in itself doesn't come without problems because as we discussed, a lot of the characters he played were like deeply problematic who did terrible things that you just kind of look past because he was such a cutie. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, you're welcome. I had more fun than I thought I was going to have. Oh, that's good then. So I'm not sure when I'm doing another one of these. This was quite a rapid turnaround. So here are some podcast recommendations that have influenced Christian Disappointment and basically do aspects of what Christian Disappointment does, but better. So First Aid Kit by Bim Adderwood and me and Nicole Perkins is definitely the best podcast I've heard about lust and lusting after celebrities. I mean, always funny and insightful and have really interesting discussions around what we like or, or I guess like why we're the things that we're told to like, I guess, or sold in popular culture and media and stuff. Um, they're now interviewing the celebrities that they've thirsted after and they're having really interesting chats that you don't really hear elsewhere. So it's sort of difficult to underestimate just how much influence they've had on lusts and podcasts and even bit like wider than that in culture at large. Um, the second one is L. Collins into it. And in that L interviews a different guest every week about something they're into. So it's mostly film and TV and it's just got some of the best analysis I think I've heard. It's, I think it's amazing. So I'd recommend just going through the episodes and finding a film or TV thing that you're into. You'll uh, definitely come away with some new thoughts about it. And then finally, Scrooby's Pips Distraction Pieces, which is an interview podcast, which I feel like I listen to for every day for about four years. Um, I originally just listened to the guests who I was interested in, but uh, quickly found out that the people I didn't know were just as interesting, well, probably more interesting, which was the thing that convinced me that I could just... uh interview my friends and put a celebrity's name in the title and trick people into listening so that's that um god i didn't really breathe while doing that that was horrible